This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Time once again for edition of T. Watson TR here on the Bama Online Podcast. It is a Wednesday, November the 2nd, 2022. Travis Schreier joined by... BOL site publisher Tim Watts and Tim, it is LSU week. Everybody might be talking a little bit more about another game in the SEC this week, but man, whenever the Tide and Tigers get together, always seems like there's a lot on the line, and that's the case once again this time around. Yeah, I mean it's always a fun game. I mean LSU, I think, did better than most expected, um, considering the lack of you know a lot of guys they've lost. There's even talk now they're not going to lose more in the portal at the end of the season. Obviously, Brian Kelly's having to flip that whole roster to some well, part of it. They're flipping their self, but Brian's going to, you know, Brian Kelly's going to put in a, uh, a full roster at some point. But, I mean, you're looking at, you know, this team has two losses. LSU's, you know, been very competitive, really lost a painful one to FSU. And I don't think anybody really forgot that because since that time, they ran off, you know, six or seven wins, the one loss being – at home to Tennessee. And let me tell you, that Tennessee game, you're talking about a snake bit team. Uh, LSU from the opening kickoff, which hit off a dude's chest and Tennessee recovered. LSU just didn't do anything right in that game. So, um, and obviously what they did against Ole Miss was impressive. I mean, you know, they were, <laughs> you know, one of our favorite things is to watch that instant reaction on the message board. But I'm telling you, Lane Kiffin's up 17 to nothing or whatever it was, everybody wanted Lane. At Alabama, when it was 45, <laughs> everybody's like, give me Sark, you know. So, obviously, a big change in that game. That's why they play at 60 minutes, by the way. But they uh, they definitely did a good job of shutting it down, playing a, you know, playing a good team. Now, I'm curious to see if this weather gets as bad as they're predicting. I don't even know what would a heavy rainfall – I don't even know who it would affect. I don't. I don't – certainly don't think it helps anybody. But, you know, who would that hit the hardest on um, – you know, that's that's the thing I'm most curious to know going into that game. Yeah, it, weather, you, you just don't know. It's impossible to predict, even especially as far out as we still are. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, neither one of these teams, when you talk about just pure running games, and I think that's sort of the auto default, right? When you think about weather, you think about, well, it could be a mutter, could be a slog, could be a game in which – uh, the running games were featured even more. I, I don't like Jameer Gibbs, I guess, as much on a wet track, but you know, Alabama still has Jace McClellan. I think the bye week is something that came at the right time, probably Tim, for those backs, because neither one of those guys looked 100% healthy to me anyway in that game against Mississippi State. They looked like a couple guys that were feeling the effects of eight straight games, uh, so they should have a little more pep in their step, you would think. Obviously, from the Bryce Young perspective, getting additional time off with that shoulder and trying to get it back to as close to full strength and full go as he possibly can was important. But, you know, it is going to be a game regardless, I think, in which the quarterbacks are going to be expected to 
really stand out between Bryce Young, between Jaden Daniels, who I got to be honest, Tim, when he came over from Arizona State and, you know, you still had the, the situation with Miles Brennan uh, at the time anyway. You had Garrett Nussmeyer in that mix. I didn't see it with uh, Jaden Daniels eventually being not only the guy, but the straw that stirs that drink right now. Yeah, I mean, you've watched them enough. You've seen they've had, you know, there's certainly been times he didn't look like the, look like the guy. I mean, the, his performance at Auburn was was really bad. Um, uh, he he, I don't think he, I don't even think he completed double digit completions in that game. That was quite a fight. LSU's defense actually rose up and and won that game. So there's been moments where he looked better. At, I mean, he's had his up and downs. Basically, he's had, you know, he's had games where he's looked really good. But he's had games where he did not look very good, and I think that's just going to come down to the pressure and how much can he run. If you let that guy get out there and run around a lot, um, you know, you're probably going to have problems with him. You know, much more problems than you want. For me, though, part of it's going to factor in is that we're kind of seeing a different Alabama team. You're going to see Dale back apparently. You're going to see Otis back apparently. But also, mm-hmm. you're seeing Ricks for really the first time all year. Certainly, yeah, I think he's doing uh, player of the player of the week, right? By somebody named him player of the week. So Ricks had a, you know, he's back, had a really big game. Um, you're seeing JoJo Earl. You're seeing Harold for the first time. So there's a lot of new wrinkles. And you're right, that week off going into this game. Look, I enjoy the Alabama LSU game. I've always enjoyed it. I mean, I don't. I'm not as you know, I don't get as hateful with my LSU friends as other people apparently sometimes do, I guess. But um, <laughs> I enjoy the game. I think it's a good game. I mean, I, I, I remember it back to Frank Choney, uh, you know, giving <laughs> Nick Saban a, a tongue lashing uh, at midfield that year when when, when there was the Internet. <laughs> before the Internet, basically, there was 2002. Rumors. Yeah. Before there was even Internet, we had we had fake news, fake rumors out there, apparently. So. Um, I've always enjoyed this. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to this week. I definitely think clear weather. I know LSU's back end is not very good um, compared to the front of its defense. It's actually worse than uh, Tennessee's is. And Bryce had, you know, a lot of success throwing the football. Obviously establishing the run is going to be important for Alabama. But, you know, I think with Alabama, I mean, we find them in the same situation. We find them in almost all the time when win and you know you know win and win and extend win and play and um uh continue to have a shot at a national championship but i mean there's a lot of steps there you've got lsu you know you got old miss you know if you're successful in those you've got the sec championship game you need you know a little bit of help from the others like i've had a lot of people talking who do you want out if you're an alabama fan do you want georgia to win or do you want tennessee to win mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I think tennessee's playing with a little bit of house money I know we're more into the Alabama LSU talk, but with that win over Alabama already in its back pocket, and if Alabama takes care of business up until the the SEC championship game, I I think I think in that scenario, Tennessee's already in the college football playoff, Tim, regardless of what happens Saturday in Athens. I don't know about you. I just don't know. I don't know if I, I I like if if Tennessee's beat by Georgia and Alabama beats Georgia. I mean, how are you choosing? But Tennessee has the win over Alabama then. But Alabama has a win over Tennessee. You see what I mean? Well, who's on first? Oh, no. I, I, there's a, there's a multitude also, of ways you can approach that. That's the point, but I guess. But also, Alabama's schedule is going gonna, is gonna to be a plus in this situation. Oh, yeah. 
is going to be a plus. I would say that Georgia's hasn't been particularly strong rating wise. Yeah, I think Georgia's a team that's in peril, perhaps, with a loss. Yeah, I just, I just, I, I mean, for Alabama fans, if you want the easiest path, I think the easiest path would be for Tennessee to beat Georgia, and you went out beat Tennessee in the SEC championship game. And I do agree, Tennessee and Alabama's in very similar to last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but you think Tennessee is doesn't have the the uh, the house money that maybe I think. You you think they think you think I, they need to get to Atlanta undefeated and then if they lose they're still in. But no, if I they think, don't get to Atlanta, you don't see them getting into the college football playoff. I would say they might need help in the way, you know, I'm not saying they won't get in in any scenario, but I'm saying they might need a little help if they lose to Georgia because it's going to eliminate their chance of going into the SEC. Right. Championship game, you could have a 12 and 1 Georgia, 12 and 1 Alabama. Um also, style points and schedule and all that kind of stuff that you have coming in to it. The easiest road for Tennessee would simply be to beat Georgia. If they beat Georgia, I think they're in. I don't think. Yeah. I don't think whoever they play in the SEC championship game, uh, if they lost, they could lose to anybody, and I still think they're in with one right. loss. That's easy. Oh, I agree with that, 100. percent Yeah. Yeah. I because know. the rest of their schedule for Tennessee, Missouri at home, South Carolina on the road, Vanderbilt at home. I mean, well, this is it for Tennessee before Atlanta. So if you got a one-loss Bama, one-loss Georgia, one-loss Tennessee, all three aren't getting in. Someone's going to no. have someone's going to have credentials to get in and not get in. Yeah, that's, that's true. Be that somebody is literally uh, going to get left out. They should be in. In that scenario, one-loss Alabama, one-loss Georgia, one-loss Tennessee, absolutely all three will definitely be three of the you know top teams in the country. Top five. Yeah, One will probably I mean, be fifth, but yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're down. I mean, this that would probably push them over the edge and get an extended playoff. But um, but anyways, Alabama, like you said, Alabama's got business to to handle up front. I think they they have to like their chances at LSU. LSU's given them this game's weird. I mean, who thought last year? I mean, literally, I thought it was going to be 58 to three last year or something. LSU rolls into Tuscaloosa, so they got like. 33 scholar. I can't remember the numbers. A low number of scholarships. Yeah. Like, Lane Duck, head coach. Yeah. Yeah. The coach leaving. They all the insults that had happened in 2019. And LSU gave them what, you know, gave them the business. I mean, they had some shots late. They had to stop some plays to win that game. So um, to me, I, I think it's a good Saturday between those two games alone. So, but I think that Alabama likes their chances going in. Game that concerns you the most these next two Saturdays at LSU or at Ole Miss? So say that again. I'm sorry. The game between the two coming up that concerns you the most for Alabama at LSU or at Ole Miss? I would have to be Ole Miss. I mean, I think with Alabama history. Uh, in Baton Rouge, being a, you know being a pretty good matchup. Death Valley at night, though, Tim. Death Valley at night. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. Bama's been what was it? I think I saw that. But like, you look at the history. Alabama's twenty four and one in its last twenty five trips in Baton happen? Rouge. How do you win all those games with people throwing <laughs> at your friggin' or your forehead? Yeah. Uh, to me, I think it'll be more dangerous because you know Lane Kiffin you know, has that mystique. It would literally be his Super Bowl. He's going all in. Um, and he's going to, you know, he's going to take shots. I mean, we saw last year, you know, he came out, grabbed your popcorn, and he was going for a fourth down right out of the gate in the series. 
to me, I don't. I, I would probably think that Ole Miss would be the one that you know you would worry about the most. Um, but certainly not looking over LSU, who I think is a pretty good team. Yeah, they're playing really good football at the right time of year. And you're right, even in that loss to Tennessee. And this isn't to take away from Tennessee's season, but if we're being honest, has just about everything fallen into place for Tennessee so far this season? Even the trip to LSU, that's an 11 a.m. kickoff instead of the nighttime kickoff. LSU starting left tackle, Will Campbell, the true freshman in the days leading up to the game, has to be uh, hospitalized. So they're playing without him. You mentioned even the opening kickoff of that game. That was a situation where everything went wrong for LSU. Uh, even in the lead up to that game. And I understand Tennessee's had some adversity of its own. Cedric Tillman, one of its very best receivers has been out for an extended period of time, just getting back into the lineup. But the old saying, Tim, about needing a little bit of luck, I think that's worked to Tennessee's advantage to this point. And, you know, that's why I think Georgia will, will really be the, the measure for Tennessee so far on this schedule. I mean, you look back at any successful season of any sport, and you can pick pinpoint your 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 you know your plays. You call it luck, or you can say cat you know capitalizing on an op, you know being opportunistic. Kind of what Tennessee's done. You know, they capitalize. They get a penalty their way or a play their way. You know, the Alabama game. You could go down that list of with ten plays that basically you can flip that play over, and Alabama wins um, that game. But you know, you look at Alabama. You know, their first national championship. They're out there blocking eleven field goals against the seven <laughs> Giffen team to get, you know, to carry that, you know, that undefeated season. So there's a little bit, you know, Alabama lost to LSU on one of the craziest games, nine to six, catch some breaks the next week. Next thing you know, they're in the national championship game and, and beating LSU handily. So a certain amount of luck goes with, with any championship. If you're watching the world series right now, you know, the Phillies are a hot team. You know, the Braves were a hot team last year. I think Tennessee kind of falls in that mode. The one thing about it, though, when you don't catch the breaks, and I'm a long-suffering Saints fan, when you don't catch those breaks, it it, it goes bad quickly. When you and don't capitalize on those opportunities, it goes bad. It can go bad in a hurry. But no matter what, I mean, Tennessee um, – Tennessee's put themselves in contention to be back on the map as much as anybody. Not and not preseason. Every preseason, A and M's back. Miami, hell, Miami is back eight weeks ago. You know, I mean, we yeah. The worst thing that can happen to you is someone on the national level proclaiming that you're back. It seems like you know. Yeah. No, no one. You're right. No one has said. No one has said that about Tennessee until after the Alabama game. I mean, seriously, if Tennessee loses, and I know some people. I mean, I think I like the SEC having good teams. I think you needed a balance, or Georgia was just absolutely Especially going to in the run East. them up yeah. Yeah. in that SEC West, in SEC East. I think they're just going to run crazy. Florida looks still a ways away. Tennessee's definitely the one that's putting the most pressure on there. But I mean, if Tennessee, you looked at, you gave them. This, Start of the season, you said, "Hey, you're gonna go 11 and one, you know, you know, and, and not make the playoffs, lose to Georgia, beat Bama. I bet you they would take it. Oh, you know, I, I every bet time. You, now, yeah. now they're not going. They don't want to take it, you know, because they, you know, they've got the a lot going for them. I can smell it, yeah. Certainly find the SEC. Me personally, find it better when there's more competitive teams. Florida does still seems to be a little ways away. Um, so you need that, you know, you want that East to be a little bit, you know, a little bit more competitive in my opinion. You talk about, and we talk about just a few breaks. It doesn't even take a lot of breaks to just change a season or make a season 
Uh, and that's the way I inv- kind of view the season for Bryce Young right now. Uh, obviously, he lost the one game to the shoulder injury uh, that he sustained. Really, he lost a game and a half because the injury came in the second quarter of the Arkansas game, missed the second half, missed Texas A&M. So that's impacted his numbers. But just in terms of how we view Heisman favorites right now, and Hendon Hooker absolutely deserves to be up in that spot where he's at right now. But if Alabama wins that game in Knoxville a couple weeks ago, probably pretty different way in which we're viewing Bryce Young right now in that capacity. And it just kind of underscores, once again, how just a player two can not only change the season for a team, but just how a player is viewed. Because in my eyes right now, Tim, when I look at what Bryce Young has done for this team, I think he's even better than he was a year ago. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And, you know, you come at, you know, you and I grew up in that era where basically Michael Jordan could have won every MVP, and they're just not going to give it. I don't, I don't think there's a better player in the country than Bryce Young. I don't think there's, I don't think any, I don't think Hooker's better. I don't think Stroud's better. I don't think now they might be as good. You can make that debate if you want to. They've certainly talented guys that have went well, but I think the NFL is going to reflect how much they like Bryce. When this uh, comes around, and I agree. I mean, last year he had a first-round pick in Jamison Williams, and he had the best security second-round security blanket second-round pick that I really, I didn't even really appreciate Mechie enough until the end of his career at Alabama. When you realize, you go back and watch some of those games where he worked back to Bryce and got open. You know where Bryce is now. You're going seven Mississippi, eight Mississippi, nine Mississippi. Well, with, with Mechie, you didn't get to seven, eight, nine. He was open at five Mississippi. He's coming back. He's working open to make those plays. So certainly missing those two, you know, monster type wide receivers there. Um, to come back from, a, you know, the, the shoulder injury, uh, I can't say enough. I mean, it's been weird to watch so much talent at Alabama for me to even have someone who's currently playing in the discussion as the best player ever. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, but I, I think he's as good as anybody in the country. And that's not saying he should win the Heisman. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Hooker, what he did has definitely got you know the you know Uncle Mo's on his side. Stroud's going to get a lot of attention um, and that kind of stuff. But I really just think it's almost like you know it's almost like watching Jordan. You know, he messed around and got a triple double. Well, of course he did. He's Mike. It's not that big a deal. But Lord help us if Steve Kerr got one or somebody a little less. <laughs> There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of put, and I'm not calling anybody Steve Kerr, by the way. But um, they, uh, there's a little bit, you know, a little bit less, you know, excitement around here. But I agree. He's to me, he's just as good as he was last year, if not better. Defensively, we look at these next two games and the challenge that LSU and Ole Miss, respectively, are going to present to Will Anderson and company. Is this put up or shut up? time for the Alabama defense, Tim. I, I think it is. I, I, I mean, after the Tennessee performance, if this defense is, and, and that's not expecting a shutout, I understand how the game is played, right? The offenses are going to get theirs to a large extent, but got to be better than they were in Knoxville, given the collection of experienced and talented guys that Pete Golding's unit brought back. Uh, how do you view that? over these next no, couple of games. I think you have to be better. I'm not sure you could be worse. I mean, it was Tennessee had their way with them, mismatches. Still, you know, nobody's even talking about the yards they ran for in that game. It wasn't just Hyatt. Mm-hmm. They ran for almost 200 yards, I think, and mm-hmm. very more balanced than people give them credit for. 
found the mismatches, found the plays that caused the mismatches, confusion, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, can't get worse. I mean, then, you know, then again, I mean, this is a team that's going to, you know, it's got, you know, it's got a lot of people thinking they're about to really score some points on Georgia. So that's a legitimate offensive team. Nobody else really has that, in my opinion. You've got, um, you know, LSU doesn't have that kind of firepower, in my opinion. It's not saying any team can score 40, 45 points on a, in the right circumstances on the, the given day. But nobody's really going to be that good offensively that Alabama's going to play the rest of the way out. I mean, Ole Miss is going to have a couple good running backs. They're going to have a have a, uh, a wide-open offense. They have a good quarterback and a good tight end and all that stuff, but not quite as Tennessee's. And then, again, Tennessee capitalizing on every chance they got pretty much in that in that football game. So I think they have to. I mean, Ole Miss, you know, I don't – you know, the thing about this team, you this team doesn't allow the fans to be happy. If the defense <laughs> is good like last week, then the – you know, Mississippi State – the offense is pedestrian. If the offense is great against Tennessee, then the defense is pedestrian. This team, and don't get me wrong, Alabama fans have a certain amount of sport. I mean, I get it. You know, I, I understand completely. I'm in a family full of them. But there's a certain sense of entitlement and and everything has to be perfect and the old ways and all that stuff. But, I mean, every game's a battle to me. Every game, you know, when you're this, – this year especially – you should be happy with a win. I mean, style points are kind of out the window right now mm-hmm. um, at this stage. You better take the one-point win anywhere you can get it the rest of the way out. So I guess we need to keep an eye on, as best we can, pregame Saturday night, whether or not this team chants in the tunnel coming out, right? Because Saban said before the Tennessee game, it was crickets in Knoxville. So uh yeah, with these experienced guys like Will Anderson and some others, uh, need to have a little juice there in the in the pregame at LSU this time around. And um, you know, we we talk about the defense and the performance in Knoxville, but to be clear, that was a team wide failure in a lot of ways. Too many penalties. The offense was a part of that. Um, didn't always protect Bryce especially well. Good enough, I thought for the most part. Didn't run the ball consistently. Gibbs did have 100 yards in that game. Uh, but it feels like in a lot of ways we're still trying to put that game totally beyond behind this Alabama team and and get ready for a very, very important stretch. And, you know, we think about this month of November and it just becomes more and more bizarre in a lot of ways. It's just ever changing. And I guess there's no surprise that Brian Harson has been relieved of his duties at Auburn Tim, but what was your sort of surprise level there? Was it low? Was it, were you blindsided? I'm going to guess you were not exactly blindsided by that one. Blindsided, but I mean, you're talking about the little boy that cried wolf. I mean, it's almost like the Pete Golden's fired stuff you hear every year for five, you know, for five games the last four years. You've heard Pete's fired, end of the year, all this stuff you've heard. Well, you kept hearing that Harzen was going to get fired, and obviously there is not, I'm not, and I'm not blaming anybody, but Something is way wrong in that situation. Last year, you had the guys leaving. I mean, seriously, Bo Nix left Auburn. I don't know why. Like, that to me is just like, that's Brody Crow transferring to, to UCLA, basically. I mean, can you imagine that that kind of situation happening? I mean, and, and doing, Bo Nix is actually doing really well. He's a Heisman talk. So, Whole situation just, you know, toxic, I guess, is a word they use a lot now, and I would agree with it. And um, 
obviously the players, you know, they're never really – it was like one of those hires where, hey, I'm smarter than you guys because nobody had Harzen on a hot board. And some of these hot boards are 40 people long. I was on two of them. But you have so many coaches on them. And Harson just out of the blue, like what, you know, like what the hell just happened? So um, obviously he's been a good coach in his past and a weird fit. A lot of his staff, you know, it, it, the first staff really wasn't from the South. And uh, it felt like Mike Price to Alabama in it, a lot of ways, didn't it? It did. Just like I'm smarter than you or you're, I'm smarter than you are. Watch this. You know, I'm yeah, smart smartest guy in the room hire. Yeah. It's weird for me because we used to, you and I, especially covering this is like, we had our system. We had our SEC championship game, and on Sunday or Saturday night, especially Sunday, because the coaches go out on the road recruiting. That's when I would sit on the back porch and smoke cigars and take, you know, talk to so many coaches because I didn't hear from them during the season. I'm talking coaches I've known for years and all over the place from the NFL, and that's when all the shuffling went on. You had so and so's out. I'm hearing this. I'm hearing this. Who's the, you know? And it wasn't just Bama related. That's how it always was, and now it can just happen, you know, in the middle, you know, early October. You just let a coach go. Scott Frost has been gone for how long now? You know, you got, you know, you got Brian Arson's gone. You know, at this stage, just the, the timing of it, and then it gets awkward because you're now negotiating or you know behind the scenes, but you're talking to a coach who's coaching another team right now, probably. So, yeah. um. It's a very odd situation, but no, I'm not surprised he was let go. We had heard that for so many times. Obviously, it wasn't a great fit, and uh, you know, not, I think not, Brian Harson. I, th- I think you said it earlier. But I think Brian Harson's a really good football coach. I think in a lot of ways he's on that level of say a Bronco Mendenhall. They strike me as kind of the same guy, the former BYU Virginia coach. It was a little bit of an odd situation when Mendenhall went from BYU to Virginia, even. And, and that's just going from uh, Provo to the ACC. This was even a little bit more of an otter fit with Harson going to Auburn. And you know, I guess if you rank the Auburn coaches of the Nick Saban era at Alabama, who would you put first, Tim? I guess Gus. Gus has to be at the top of that list. He beat Saban, I guess, three times, he, and he was there the longest. Yeah, if you're an Alabama fan, I think you have to you have to go with with uh, Gus, Gus Malzahn. He was the most interesting. You know, his his wife was interesting. Gus was interesting. The the uh, the games were interesting. A very very competitive. So if you're an Alabama fan, I think he has to be there. Tommy Tuberville obviously feasted when Alabama was more of a you know middle lower SEC program. He did a good job there. Chizik, you know, he just came and went so fast. You know, he was up so high down so low and Harson would definitely be last. I mean, he, he never, I mean, this guy was, was 90 seconds or whatever. Was it 90 seconds, 97 yards? Oh, it was less than that. I think from, yeah, it took the absolute drive of a lifetime That's like from the, Bryce yeah. young to, to keep that from being a, a win for Harson and what right. I and guess I, if they win that game, if Auburn wins that game, it probably still doesn't matter. They're still making this move. I got to think. I don't think they're making it now though. I think okay. probably waiting a little bit longer. Give him another iron bowl. Yeah. I think you finish the season out with them. But then again, I don't know. I mean, you start talking NIL boosters and you get into, you know, we've, we've entered, we've hit the Jason Bourne, John Wick pro part of the program where boosters aren't given to Auburn unless Harson's fired. And it could be true for all I know crap, but um, 
It definitely Hell, if Tank if Tank Bigsby just stays in bounds. Yeah. Know? Yes, absolutely. That and again, you know, you look at they had to work, you know, I said that about Alabama. Alabama had to work pretty hard to lose a Tennessee game. Auburn really had to work hard to lose that Alabama game last year after a very dominant uh performance. Yeah, I got it. Gus, Chiz, Tubbs, and Harson. That's the way I would go with the Auburn coaches. I always, I've always said Mike Shule and that staff or the way they recruited because they were under like the probation window. They mm-hmm. really did not get near the gray area. There was <laughs> that, that was a no. We we both know that situation. We know some of the some of the stuff they were dealing with from an internal yeah, compliance was, perspective. Was, they were handcuffed big yeah, time. There was no gray area. It was white as driven snow yeah. is where they recruited at. And I've always thought it sort of lulled Tuberville to sleep because he could just swoop in and grab guys, which he did on the regular. Guys that grew up Alabama fans for life and all that stuff. So when Saban landed, I mean, you know, all of a sudden you're in rec- your recliner and you got to jump up and start, you know, yeah. In the abs and doing wind sprints, and you're just not ready for Yeah, it. the compliance guy that was there during the Shula era, he wasn't there very long after Nick came in, put it that way. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's the way I think we, we would call that situation. They used to call us about the most random stuff. You oh, know? they would, they, the compliance person at Alabama under Shula would outright harass us about recruiting coverage on our website. He was, he was worried about even how we covered recruiting, even though he had zero jurisdiction over what we did. And it took him screwing up a bowl practice interpretation that we revealed on BamaOnline.com to shut him up because that, that was it. We didn't hear anything else after that. No, but it was kind of like, yeah, and these weren't highly. I mean, can you imagine that now with five star guys with fifty offers <laughs> plus the NIL? All right, no, no, something. yeah, we'll 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 go too far down that rabbit hole. It's fun tell though. Us, I like Travis, I kind of like going back a little I'm bit. I think the lead here, Travis. Tell us what you did. <laughs> tell us what you did. this is a hell of a lot cooler than what I did. Dear, <laughs> probably cooler than anybody that'll ever listen to this. What you did in the bye week? Well, the bye week, uh, I just went to Amsterdam, Paris, and London. That was it. That's all we did, Tim. No big deal. NBD. You know, numerous. Oh, hell. You know, listen to this podcast. I don't think you all understand. Me and Travis are in the vast minority of people who love sports. You'd think all All of sports would love sports, but they don't. They cover their team. Spend Sunday doing, you know, whatever, you know, you know, you know, spraying the driveway. Nope, I don't do that. I watch sports. They know I'm watching sports. I'm watching NBA. Travis is that way. He's in London, and probably know I've worked with Travis so long. I mean, I know, you know, I know everything. Know how he is. So I've got people going, "Holy crap, Travis is so and so in London watching a soccer game." I'm like, that's where I was Saturday night. I was getting updates on the SEC games, but. Yeah, you know, we went over there. It was it was a milestone birthday for the wife. That's all I'll say. I'm not giving away her age. Just keep Four. that. I, I'm proud of how I describe that. If you want to stay in good graces, Tim, refer chocolate. to these birthdays as milestone birthdays. Not chocolate. don't give the age away. Free chocolate. <laughs> that comes to an end. Start throwing. But uh, so for for that occasion, as much as anything, and it coincides perfectly every year. Her birthday coincides with Alabama's bye week is perfect um this time we made the big trip and uh 
Yeah, we took in a Premier League soccer match, or football as it's actually called over there. You don't call it soccer. Uh, Fulham versus Everton. I don't know as much about it, but man, let me tell you something, Tim. That's SEC level fan passion, dude. Pre-gaming in the pubs there, right down the street from the pitch, um, the fan participation. Uh, it was a blast. And I'll tell you what I do like about footy is that it's over in like two hours and 15 minutes, Tim. They play 90 minutes. There's very little in the way of extra time. Pretty quick, efficient halftime there. And you're back in the pub. I, that's the way it ought to be. You ought to be in the pub, at the match, back into the pub pretty quickly. That's the way they do it over there. And then Sunday, we went to Wembley Stadium, and we saw the Jags puke against the Broncos. I did see I did see Jerry Judy score a touchdown in London. So that was, uh, that was something, I guess. But uh, it was a great trip, trip of a lifetime, fun, glad to be back on U.S. soil. You know what surprised me, and you've been over there. I mean, you've been to Europe, but between Amsterdam, Paris, and London, I thought the food was going to be better. You know, I knew London was not known for that as much, but I thought Paris was pretty overrated, Tim. You know, I just thought it was going to be better. That's all. You actually took, it's funny, Travis did this trip, and we're the family. We're actually going in May, and yep. we're doing the same thing, London, Amsterdam. We had a day in Brussels, and we closed out in Rome. I, the only Europe we've been to is Rome, and I can promise you the food's not overrated. It's ridiculously. That's why I got to get to Rome, Rome it, I guess. It, it's stupid. And I'm glad we closed out with Rome in case we didn't, like, get what what we wanted everywhere else. Cause it's a little bit different. I mean, I saw Amsterdam, they have, you know, restaurants that just serve French fries with mayonnaise, you know, so it, <laughs> I, I knew it was going to be a little bit, I've seen Pulp Fiction. I knew that they was a little bit different, Le, Le Big Mac. So, uh, you know, I did have a damn good burger in Amsterdam, man. I we mean, did, we did that. It was good. And the, and the frites, the fries, you know, are going to be good, but it, it's a lot of potatoes between Amsterdam, Paris, and London. I'm not complaining. I love potatoes. But uh, we went to the oldest restaurant in Paris, right? Been there since the 1600s or something crazy. And it was just okay. It wasn't great. I mean, it was fine. Um, but I really loved London as a town. Uh, it was great. Um, something always going on. We stayed right there at Buckingham Palace. So that was pretty cool. Uh, I, I enjoy, I enjoyed it immensely trip of a lifetime. No, no complaints at all. Paris. When you talk about architecture, the Eiffel tower, um, history, man, if you love history between Amsterdam, Paris and London, I mean, come on. That's how it was when we got there, we're like, Oh my God, look at this old church. Oh my Lord. Look at this old church. Look, wait, <laughs> old church. look at the stained glass. Yeah, wow. We're like, Every church is old dummy, you know, but it's funny you mentioned a burger. We kill when, you know, we eat as the natives do wherever we're at. And we were in Rome. We were just killing Italian food. And we've been on the, we've been in Malfi Coast for five days and Rome for six days. And we're just killing nothing but Italian, basically. And we went on this, this day tour to meet our, our guide. And we walked by a little tiny burger place. It's a French, they didn't call them French fries. The Romans are pretty angry with the French, I guess. They just called them something else fries. But that whole day, I thought about that burger. The entire day, because yeah. it was early in the morning. So we go, we go on the tour. It's great. We ate two more Italian meals. We come back. We have to walk back to the hotel. And um, 
I said to my wife, I said, be thinking about what you want for dinner. I've got a reservation. She said, would you hate me? And I looked and I said, what? She said, if I said a burger at that, and I was like, no. <laughs> I about that place, we had French fries, Cokes in the bottom, and we split a burger, and it was a. It was yeah. A- so for me, it went like this. Amsterdam 1, London 2, Paris 3. That that would be the power rankings of the trip. And there wasn't a lot of separation, though, between the three. There was great, great stuff about about all three. Uh, Amsterdam, to me, is just really cool. The canals and everything in Amsterdam, you're going to see that and do that. Yeah. Those are amazing. The Amstel River, that vibe is just uh, amazing. And the, and the history, from an American perspective, in, in all three places – but for me, it was very sobering in Amsterdam because of of how a lot of the folks in Amsterdam were just brutally impacted by the Holocaust and uh, that aspect of it and how it's how their the tributes are in place there in Amsterdam. And uh, that that part of it made me as proud to be an American as any of it, knowing how we jumped into that thing and and helped those people, right? And just the most unspeakable of circumstances. And not to, to bring down the energy of the pod, but I'm just telling you how it hit me from a history perspective. Yeah, sure. I'm looking forward you know? to there. Uh, yeah, you'll 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 see it. Um Yeah, for me, I mean for me like London, that's probably a one time only trip. For me, so we'll be I liked able- London more than I thought. London was the surprise town. I kind of thought London was going to be like, well, I'm going to go see uh, soccer and football there. That'll be great. We also went to Wimbledon and did the tour of uh, the, the Win- Wimbledon club there. That was cool. Uh, but just as a city in general, I really liked London. Really liked it. I just I don't know if I'm like everybody says Paris is full of you know buttholes. I didn't. We didn't. We didn't. But they said that about New York City. Yeah, that's, like, that's kind of that's kind of how you realize you're one of the buttholes. Yeah, <laughs> where the people are rude and you fit. You right go in. looking for the buttholes and you're the yeah, butthole, but, right? Where, where are the jerks, lady? Move your <laughs> kids, you know. <laughs> Move your kids. Alone, you know? Man, I, I think that the weird thing about even London was when you go eat a meal, if you don't tell them you're ready for the check, you will never get your check. So. You know, the first time or two you're sitting there and you're done and you're like, wow, they just forgot about us. No, I don't think that's it at all. I think it's I think they're being respectful of you and giving you the 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 sort of green light on when you're ready to go. You know, so much. And that's where we went last week. We we're not going anywhere because we got I mean, we're talking 18 nights in Europe with, you know, I'm trying to dude. I'm trying to avoid. Yeah, we did like eight possible before the trip so i don't yell at them the whole trip they'll be like i'm <laughs> traveling with your kids that way i don't yell at them as much but um it's that way in new orleans i mean we snuck down there um for the pelicans mavericks game of course the nba being the nba ingram's out zion's out and herb's out they still beat the Mavs, so it's good did luca play yeah luca played lord yes okay. I, I, they're, i'm not arrested and asking somebody to bail me out they'd have been refunding <laughs> my tickets so luca um but really we want to go we hadn't been since before covid we had three of our favorite meals and saw that and came home but that's how they are in new orleans you, you're not there's not a rush you know they're our first meal we ate at katie's um mm-hmm. 15 minutes out of the uh 
French Quarter, one of our favorite places. Love it. It's in the neighborhood. It looks like it used to be a house. And everybody was just taking their time eating. So we just walk around and do all that. There's not a big rush. Although I still find myself irritated by the people staying just to stay. Yeah. Like, like I see y'all not talking anymore. Y'all ran out of stuff to say. Move it. <laughs> move along. Yeah. See, in Europe, they don't move you along. Usually in America, they will move you along. Now, did you tip? Let me ask you this. Did you? Tip? Yeah, that's a that was something I actually researched. We did tip, and I, I think we tipped more in line with what you do in America in terms of the percentages. Um, but you'll, you'll have people tell you that, you know, it's more along the lines of 10%, five to 10%. Um, we went well over what we did was we made sure we took enough currency between euros and pounds that we, we could spend cash a lot. But the thing is you get towards the end of the trip and you've got this cash, this currency left over and you're trying to get rid of it, which, which works to the benefit of, of folks over there in the service industry. My daughter is running. She's going to go to Europe from our trip four or five years ago, whenever it was. She's going to have over like $180 in euros. Yeah. I mean, I had it in pockets and shoes and just <laughs> like, what? It's like Monopoly money at the end. Yeah. Like, there a video game parlor around us. We'll buy a park place. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it'll be uh, good. All right. Let's get You're going to have a good time. You're going to have a good time. And, it, and look, and if you went to New Orleans, I, I, it was a trip of a lifetime. Don't get me wrong. And, and I'm glad we did it. It was great. But between, and you know, this, the length of the trip and, and the costs and everything else, I think, um, I think there are some U S cities that I'm, I'm just fine with. If I'm going to new Orleans would be one of them for a weekend for sure. Hey, um, we talked a little bit about the NFL, I guess, but Anything strike you from this past weekend? I guess you got to talk about Tua and his performance and the Dolphins' win yeah. over the Lions. Matt got a much-needed win there in New England. And what about Ridley? Calvin Ridley traded from the Falcons to the Jacksonville Jaguars. How is the guy suspended to at least into the season for making a bet? I mean, dude, everything that ha- – I mean – And supposedly the bet he made involved the Jaguars losing because he so bet – on the Falcons, parlay, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I think the Jags and Falcons were in there maybe somehow. You got to have six teams involved. I don't understand sports. Uh, I don't understand sports. I don't know why. You know, Deshaun Watson's you know going to get a nine game suspension, whatever it was. I don't know why Ridley's out for the year. There could be stuff we don't know about. It just seems like punishment. It's kind of random. It's arbitrary. It's not like there's a written book, you know what I mean, where they, they know how to deal with this stuff. And I mean, I look up and the Celtics suspended a coach for for uh, sexual misconduct in the workplace, and he's suspended for the year, and New Jersey's hiring him. I don't understand. In the same conference, how in the world is he suspended for the year from somebody? Um, I'm sure somebody could explain that to me, but so I don't understand that on that. Pro sports. Another yeah. thing I don't understand is – why do so many people wait for Tua to do good to scream, I told you, and then the other so many wait this, when he has a bad game to say, I told you? There, he's such an argumentative figure. He's so polarizing. It's a lot like Tebow oh, when Tebow was in college, it yeah, feels I'm like. Yeah, talking Bama fans only. They obviously no. Alabama fans that debate a rock, you know, which rock, you know, which rock's the better one. But – all this is like NFL guys, Twitter guys, Miami guys. There's such something about Tua 
that makes you just die hard root for him or die hard dislike him. I don't understand. He had a great game, pulled it up. He's 29 36, 382 yards, had two big runs in that game, 18 yard run. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting game in itself because they got behind pretty quick early and, uh, um, they were down double digits at halftime after making a little bit of a comeback. But again, I mean, the, the talent around them, Jalen Waddle, you know, you talk about two it. Jalen Waddle's been fantastic. As good as Tyreek Hill has been, and he is, he is amazing. But that Waddle Hill dynamic is huge. They trade and got a couple guys at the, you know, the, at the, at the deadline yesterday. NFL just trading everybody like it's fantasy football. Yeah. Trading guys they drafted in the first for a second. I mean, they're just moving everybody around, so it's wild. Yeah, I like Ridley coming to my team, the Jags, but I still don't know if that when? leaves the Jags. I know. First of all, I, the Jags need him right now. The, the Jags may need a quarterback. I hate to say it, and, and I'm not as quick to just totally cash out on Trevor Lawrence because a lot of the things that are being said about Lawrence right now were said about Tua. Last year, I think next year is going to be even more important uh, in in terms of making that hard evaluation of Trevor Lawrence. But they still don't have a number one receiver, even when I'm not sure. Is Calvin Ridley a number one in the NFL? I think he's a really, really good, potentially number two, Tim. I don't know, though, if he's a number a number one in the NFL. No, I mean, he's got to be getting close to 30 now, right? Yeah, and just his skill set in general. And, you know, they've got Christian Kirk, and Marvin Jones is going to be moving on. Um, Zay Jones is probably still going to be there. So they're going to have a nice group, but I still don't know if they have a number one. They 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 paid Christian Kirk number one money, but he's not a true number one. That was a bad – to me, that was a bad deal. I don't think Calvin's a number one, but I think Calvin that we saw in Atlanta is definitely a strong, strong – Number two, he's an extreme route run. He's an excellent route yeah. run. He's got good hands. He does all that little stuff that you want small. But you're going to have to have some help on the other side. And I agree. I mean, the reaction towards quarterbacks are amazing to me because I've never seen bust. I mean, why is everybody beating up Justin Herbert now? Yeah. This, y'all were carrying him around your school. Well, show. he was the guy that, that the anti-Tua folks were beating up Tua with, right, just a year ago. And now yeah. we've got, well, Tua was obviously the guy of those two. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, you're right. The hot takes, boy, they I, I can't keep up with them. And even Burrow. Burrow doesn't look as good no. as he did last year. Last year, they kind of oh. caught like, lightning in a bottle. We were talking about Tennessee, the Phillies, and all that. Kind of caught a heater at the right time. But also, he does not have a, you know, he does not have a great offensive line. I mean, a quarterback. A quarterback's got to have some talent around him. And I will say this. I think the Dolphins are doing the best job of building around Tua compared to like, I mean, who is the Chargers best wide receiver? Who's the Jaguars best wide receiver? Who's the Jets best? Well, the Chargers number one is Keenan Allen, right? Is he still a number one? Dude, I was young when I covered his recruitment. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't have any kids. Y'all said I was, you wore a younger man's clothes, man. What the hell? (laughs) He's on 30. Holy crap. Oh, they got the, 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 the big receiver from Clemson still there though. Right. Mike Williams. I got a Mike Williams. Yeah. Look, when you look around, when you compare it, I mean, you know, who is Justin Fields best receiver? These are all quarterbacks that you're drafting relatively high, 
Who are the best receivers around him? Now look at Tua. Who's his best receiver? Tyreek Hill, Jalen yeah. Waddle. Hey, don't for sleep on um, uh, Gusecki, the tight end that they've got. Yeah, he can't gritty worth a damn, but he is a very good tight end, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, this guy, they're, built, they're doing the best job. I think Tua's been really good, but I also think this team, this coach, what they're doing right now is everything they needed to do to win. I definitely uh, had my doubts about the last coaching staff with the rumors and some of the stuff we saw. Yeah, it's it's just, boy, it, it comes at you fast, especially at the quarterback position. And that's why I'm not I'm not ready to give up on Trevor Lawrence just yet. A lot of that fan base is already at that point. Uh, he continues to make just critically poor decisions with an emphasis on inside the 10 yard line where he seems to like to throw his interceptions most. Uh, that's catastrophic, but, um, tough, tough spot, man. That's why those dudes make all the money in a lot of ways as well. Hey, go ahead, Tim. I was just going to say, I mean, also getting back to Alabama LSU week, it's, it's hard to go through this week without, you know, thinking about a lot of the recruiting, uh, crossover that we've had, especially under Nick Saban during his time at Alabama. I, I haven't really checked. Is there is there still a lot of that going on? I know Eli Holstein is committed from Louisiana. The quarterback for 2023 is and, – and I guess when you've got two programs that are – it seems like every year in the top five or ten of the recruiting rankings, uh, regardless of their, their locations geographically, uh, there's going to be some of that. Yeah, I think it just depends on the year for Alabama. Obviously, they went in, recruited Eli, got him this year. LSU wasn't a heavy factor there. I mean, they, they kind of had their quarterback situation and some other guys that conflicted. I mean, last year, you look at what Alabama did there. Um, What's it signed? Four or five players from there. Uh, Aaron Anderson, they signed one of the you know, top wide receivers. Shaz- Kendrick Law. Kendrick yeah. Law. They got Danny Lewis. Yeah. Um, so there's four off the top of my head that they've got. Um, I want to say there's another one. I can't think of it. Anyway, they got those guys. They beat LSU. They beat Brian Kelly for Danny Lewis. Like we saw, saw the video proof of how bad LSU Brian Kelly. Oh, jeez. But uh, and uh, um, yeah, I mean they'll get it. LSU will come in here and dig into some guys and recruit some guys. But you know, Alabama got the commitment um, uh, last year at the, the most vital times. And you know, this afternoon. They're going to be fighting for a guy that, you know, Julian Sayans, a wide a quarterback from California, one of the top guys in the nation, um, top two or three quarterbacks in the country. LSU's been all in on him. We've got Alabama predicted to win that battle. I think it's coming up here in the next couple of hours. But yep. that's going to be a big head-to-head race, even though it's not really from the South. But when you're talking quarterbacks, uh, you know, all bets are off. Yeah, you're right with saying it's just uh, just hours away. And so we'll certainly have that covered for you uh, one way or the other right there with us at BamaOnline.com. And, of course, we got men's basketball season officially getting underway at the University of Alabama just a few days away. Next Monday, the Alabama Crimson Tide gets things going under head coach Nato's man. I'm fired up to watch this team, you know. I understand that seasons can go any number of directions. Just look at the last couple of years for more on that. Not that last year was a bad season for Alabama, because even if you just take into account that the Crimson Tide made the NCAA tournament, what they have established now under Oates 
is an expectation that every year this is a team that at a minimum is going to make the NCAA tournament. Whereas for a decade and a half or so, it was, well, maybe every other year, this is a team that makes the NCAA tournament. They are a perennial NCAA tournament team now. Um, So from an expectation standpoint, I think still a lot of the focus is going to be on teams like Kentucky, Tennessee, maybe even Auburn uh, ahead of Alabama. But I'm fired up, Tim. I don't know about you. I, I know there's a lot of new faces on this team, but doesn't appear to be a shortage of, of talent. No, I'm excited. I mean, you got bigs, you got guys run the floor, you got links, you got, I mean, you know, Alabama's always had like, you know, the key to like the excitement for Alabama usually is they've had that Gerald Wallace, that Mo Williams, you know, they, uh, um, um, uh, drawing a blood Miller this year coming in, Brandon Miller, Brandon Miller. Yeah. That guy coming in when you've got that guy coming in, I should say, like J.D. last year, when you got that guy coming in to watch, it doesn't matter if he's won or done. It's exciting when you bring it to him. And then you just when you get a chance to notice, you know, some of these other guys, Jaden Bradley, you know, it's a guy I thought was kind of similar to Chris Paul. I know people that have seen him have sort of been surprised he wasn't that explosive. Chris Paul's not very explosive. It's just a hell of a point guard. Good Physical stuff. point guard, yeah. That's can pass the ball. Chris Paul is probably close. <laughs> Chris Paul was also a young man when, I, when he left college. I was a young man when Chris left college. You got them. Big fan of Rylan Griffin. Um, what about Noah Clowney, man? We talk about this class coming in, and Clowney seems like he's advanced, and there was this sort of perception that he might be more developmental. Sounds like he's a right-now guy, Tim. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you're hearing a lot of buzz. I mean, there's a lot. Quinnally, you hope, can come back and contribute and be, help, you know, be healthy and help, you know, help some of these young guys. I'm excited. I was excited last year. I mean, I know it didn't go as well as it did the year before. It was much more exciting. But, man, they beat Gonzaga. You know, they had some great moments last year. Team never really, you know, obviously peaked with the Gonzaga win, but that's a hell of a win, wasn't it? I mean, that's a, that was yeah. a that was a hell of a win that night. That was about the, the ceiling that was the for that team, but you know, it was a, a hell of a win. That was a hell – that was a high pinnacle for that team. So, they, you know, they never felt right together, you know – Injuries, they look uncomfortable. The defense, so a lot of things there. This team's got a better feel. And I'll tell you what, you know, speaking of Europe, all these guys going over there for, was it a couple of weeks? Yeah, the tour I, they did. I yeah. saw the SEC Network special they did on them. And Alabama was having the time of their life. They were walking the streets and getting mm-hmm. people to say roll tie. That's a huge bonding experience you get bringing a team close together. But I think the biggest thing is they got a good coach and they've got talent. I mean, these guys, this is a talented team. Sure, it's going to take a minute to gel together, but, you know, you know, people, you know, I've, I've talked to so many people like they got to gel together. I was like, dude, this is what John Calipari's done every year for 15 years. Yeah, this is what he's done. I mean, the, the minute you had to go, you know, the minute you, you know, you could be one and done. This is what a lot of coaches have dealt. It's not just him. You know, there aren't many. You know, college football has like three almost 25-year-old quarterbacks the last time I checked. I think it's Stetson, Hooker for Tennessee. There's one more guy I'm missing. But you don't really see that in basketball. You don't really see guys. They come and go because, you know, you got the – you know, you go play in Europe. You go play in – you know, they got basketball leagues everywhere where you can go make money. You don't see that. So you're going to turn over most teams. I mean, but, you know, the first thing he wants talent – Second, that's a coach's job to gel them together because they've got a lot of guys. I'm still excited about Nick Pringle. 
um, seeing what he could do based off his junior college film. Cause I know he's not a shooter. Everybody doesn't really get sexy about the guys near the, you know, near the glass, but I like those guys that run the floor are going to contest shots on both ends, block some shots and be long. I think guys like that are sort of what pick your team up, pick your team up. And it's kind of what Herb did. He was kind of that six, seven, six, eight defensive guy that got in your face and fought for every rebound. So a lot of guys, plus the young guy, you know, you got the transfers coming in, you got guys with experience coming mm-hmm. in play. So I agree. I'm super excited. Yeah. And, and Charles Bediaco trying to get healthy, the seven footer. So you didn't see him in Alabama's win exhibition win over Southern Illinois over the weekend. That was kind of a weird deal, how it went from being students only to at the last minute, uh, fans were invited in general, but, um, yeah, Brandon Miller in, in that exhibition win, 14 points and six rebounds. And you mentioned a couple of guys in Clowney and Pringle, six, nine, six, 10 guys that can run the floor athletic Clowney, six points, eight rebounds, Pringle, 10 points, eight rebounds. So that was big without Betty Ako available for that in Alabama. We always associate under Nate Oates with the three-point line, just three of 22 from beyond the arc. Um, that concerns you a little bit. I don't know if I'm as concerned, especially because it's early as much as anything else, but this seems to be maybe more of a kind of team that can overcome that more so than a year ago and probably more so because of what its potential is on the defensive end. Yeah, I think the team obviously has to gel, but I think that's something you kind of seems like they're able to put the work in. They got, you know, to me, they got a good blend of, you know, possible one and dones, experienced guys and, you know, guys on that bubble. There's a lot of guys that are going to do that work to get to that next level, have that chance to go pro. So and I think, you know, you know, as well as I do, you get a guy like, you know, Brandon Miller around you, you get a little excited playing with them. You know, you see that guy and. He's able to do the the insane stuff he's capable of doing. I think there's a little excitement that makes you want to raise your game a little bit better. I've said this to a lot of people. Everyone talks about how good the, the Pelicans have got defensively. I'm telling you, that that came from Herb. It started with yeah. Jones because when you see a guy, all of a sudden he's on you know highlights and getting all this you know getting getting uh, you know uh, a lot of credit for being a great defender. You, it's hard to be lazy, and you, you know, and your buddy over there is working his tail off on defense, and then everybody else rose. I think you're going to get that with this team. You're going to see guys rising up, uh, bigs rising up, challenging at the rim. You're going to see guys shooting is a concern, but I feel like they've got the shooters um, on that team to get it right. Hey, Tim, let's get into the BOL roundtable mailbag, as we put a wrap on the latest edition of T Watts and TR here on the Bama online podcast. We'll start with our good pal M one six ma St. A. I guess I got all that right. All right, Tim next 2023 football recruit to potentially commit to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Who do you think might be next for this 2023 cycle? Thinking about, you know, the 24s, I can't think of anybody like super off the top of my head, like as far as a date is said, I think, Keon, yeah. yeah, I'm not saying it's going to be Bama either. I'm still in the process of digging it out, but Keon Keeley's a guy that should be getting close. Of course, we've been saying that for a while. Um, no real, uh, you know, no real date yet. Davin Hobbs is probably the closest I'm thinking of. 
I think his is the Thanksgiving weekend, the Friday after Thanksgiving. So when he's going to commit, still trying to figure out where he's going. So a lot of these guys are in flux as far as the date. You know, you get to this point, you know, you got to kind of wonder, do you just wait till the signing day to, to sign and commit and do all that kind of stuff? If you still want your moment, now's the time to do it, though. Um, if you still want to have your moment, because you know how signing day is going to be. A, the signing yep. day is going to be more about who didn't sign with who than who did sign with who. Just like Carmody McLean shocked a lot of people last week when he committed to Miami over Florida. I thought that was going to be Florida, right? Yeah, uh, they all did. A lot of people did. Yeah, a lot of that. Mario needed that one right now. And so did Billy, though. I mean, with the yeah, sort of did. vibe around both those programs right now. I mean, the next day, Miami went out 114 to 12 in Virginia. Like, <laughs> did I watch that game? I mean, did oh, I, God bless you. I yeah. You take a wisdom to any yeah. the week over that. With no numbing agent. I just, drill yeah. I just watched Miami, Virginia drill in that nerve, baby. Oh, that's oh. first. That was terrible. Bama been four here in the mailbag. What do y'all think is Bama's issue on the road? Offensive scheme, coaching, players, question mark, Tim. What do you think? Uh, going back to last season, really, uh, it's been it's been a struggle for Alabama on the road. Not that, look, not that playing on the road in places like Gainesville, College Station, Austin, Texas, Knoxville, coming up at LSU, then in Oxford. Not that those are ever perceived to be, you know, simple tasks, but it but it does seem relative to what we've seen in previous years of the Nick Saban era, been a little tougher than those for this this team or two. You know, I don't really think it's as much a road game. I mean, they, I mean, I wouldn't say the offense is clicked nonstop at home, right? Yeah. I mean, they should, like we talked about earlier, the LSU game last season I mean, in Tuscaloosa. Was, was that was it, that wasn't a road game. I mean, in Mississippi State, was there anybody not just you know was that not the boringest game ever to win by twenty four points? And that second half was yeah, was especially great. rough. There wasn't a lot happening in offense, and you go back to Texas A and M didn't score as many as we thought they would there. LSU last year at home. I'm not sure. I don't know if it's a, I don't really think it's a, obviously a road. The road doesn't help. You got loud people. You got Texas fans, crazy fan base, hundred thousand. You got Tennessee fans, crazy fan base, very, very uh, rabid fan base all in the game. It doesn't help. But I also think a lot of times it's just shooting herself in the foot. I mean, you know, even in the Tennessee games where Gibbs, maybe the, you know, outside of Bryce, the best player on the team dropped the ball right in his mitts that he very well could have scored on. Uh, late in that game. So you've just seen them shoot themselves in the foot, miss field goals, get penalties, drop passes, a lot of drop passes this year. I think they, they do that consistently, whether it's on the road or at home. Yeah, uh, Snowski bomb here in the thread a little bit later. He notes that it's not just issues on the road, it's issues at home too. How did that offense look in last year's LSU game as we talked about this year's Mississippi State game? He points more to the offense in general, which I would say that's been the case. The defense obviously didn't show up in Knoxville. Um, He wants to know where's the toughness. Is it in relation to strength and conditioning, defensive assistance? Uh, I think at some point, though, guys, players got to take ownership, right? I mean, we can talk about coaching until we're blue in the face, but this isn't a team made up largely of first and second year players, Tim. That was more of last year. So 
this year, it, it should be more on the players, in my opinion. You know, it should be more on Will Anderson. Should be more on Bryce from that perspective. So he's the coaching staff. But when you look at the makeup of this roster, where the hell are the veterans when it comes to policing, self-policing and accountability? That's what I've always seen in terms of the best teams at Alabama or anywhere. As you know, Tim, you've seen this. It's usually when the teams take that position for themselves. It, it isn't dependent upon coaching as much. Yeah, I think that Alabama, I mean, most fan bases, they find the guy, you know, obviously Bill O'Brien this year. Um, and there have been pedestrian calls we've wondered about. But at the same time, you're right. There's been penalties that had nothing to do with Bill O'Brien or the play call. There's been drop passes that had nothing to do with Bill O'Brien and the play call. Um, I say the same for Pete Golding. I mean, obviously Tennessee game was a bad, but overall the defense has been pretty good. I mean, it's won a couple of ball games. I mean, it's definitely the reason they won that Texas game, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, they made plays when they had to, but uh, you see guys miss tackles. You see guys that you know with silly penalties and stuff. So I don't think there's one thing wrong with the Alabama offense. I think there's just something wrong with the Alabama offense because when it's clicking. When it's humming, it's it's a thing of beauty. But even if you go back to the Arkansas game, I mean, that was a pretty nasty game. I think people have forgotten. It was 28-23. Uh, it took three 70-yard touchdown runs to blow that game open. It wasn't like they drove the field or was able to establish the run or any of that kind of stuff. But again, you know, you know what you know, you've got guys, you know, you're seeing more of Kobe Prentice, the freshman. You're seeing mm-hmm. Bond, you're seeing Jacory Brooks worked in my in my opinion more effectively because him in the slot that that's to me he's just he's an edge guy he should be out on there you know get his legs going he's not gonna be quick off the snap get him down the sideline let him beat somebody he's got a wide catch radius great hands despite the Arkansas game where he dropped a few passes but um I think they did a better job I still want to see more not black you know I'm like that Saturday night I think that's coming see, yeah I'm Saturday night like skid I want more cowbell I want more Amari I want not black yeah I, I think it's coming him, um, out there because I think, you know, and, and Cameron, his last game he's had, he's made some fantastic catches this year. He's, I mean, Bryce threw him a dart on the sideline that I, I mean, it was, it was a bullet that yeah. he's like no issues. But then again, he drops a pass very easy out in the open. So um, hopefully he'd be a little bit cleaner. The offensive line is still a work in progress. I don't think Wolf loves him. I don't think he loves the unit. I, I don't think he loves the unit at all. And he's trying to piece together the best he can. Um, so they still got, you know, hopefully they addressed a lot of this over the, over the last, you know, the last two weeks. Yeah. We heard Saban on Monday allude to needing to be more diverse in the run game. That's, I agree on that wholeheartedly. And that's understanding they they've got their bread and butter runs that have, produced, as you outlined, some explosive plays, more than we've seen in recent years from Alabama in the run game. But as far as consistency goes, um, they have a lot of empty carries, and that's been the case from the start of the season until now. And to help minimize that, I think they have to do some different things in the run game, even if it is, you know, zone action to Jameer, but then on the end of round to a guy like Bond, right? Going the other way. Got to slow some of these defenses down because eight games in, anytime the football appears to be going to Jameer, 
you got defenses running to it. And if, if you're not comfortable with Bryce and his health that you want to expose him to some things in the run game, then you got to get some other guys involved. Right. And so I think we'll see perhaps some of that on Saturday night as well. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful anyway. Have the winner go home stage. You know, you're yeah. So whatever's in that playbook, it's it's right. Now's the time, right? Any any damn anything you got that you want to try, try it now. No saving it now. You lose another one and we're, nobody's gonna care what you Yeah. Do. You can run it in the damn citrus bowl. How about that? Yeah. No, yeah. There, no that'd be a lot of good there. Yeah, absolutely. So I agree. Yeah. I'm curious to see myself. I mean, this team has not been fun to watch in a lot of ways. Like I said, you barely get a you barely get a clean game. Offense is either struggling or the defense is at time, you know, like Tennessee game. But I was I think it's got potential to be a team. And you know what? There's so many guys we're getting to know for the first time. We're getting to know Ricks, Kobe, Bonds. Uh we're seeing Latham come into his own. We're getting to all this and you know Latham what? Latham is really Going in the right direction. Now we'll see. I have said this many times, but I would shut shut up griping the whole game and enjoy Bryce Young while you can. Yeah, he's about yeah. to be. I said this with Tua, and all of a sudden his career was over. You know, we got a great mm-hmm. year from Mac Jones, which was fantastic. But you better enjoy Bryce Young while you can. I mean, I've even seen Bryce criticized this year, which is which is kind of insane. Yeah, well, yeah, you know I mean? that might. Yeah, got to take that one with the the grain of salt. You yeah, know? so I'm just saying, grain of salt. Enjoy what you can with this team. It's not a perfect football team, and it's got flaws. 100, percent it's got flaws. No doubt, Bama man for JC in the roundtable here. Uh, he says we hear so much about if Colt hadn't gotten hurt in that 2010 BCS national championship game as the quarterback for the Texas Longhorns. Uh, he's curious about our thoughts on if Tyrone Prothrow hadn't gotten hurt in the Florida game at the time it was a blowout for the Crimson Tide over the Gators at Bryant-Denny Stadium. What was that team's ceiling, in your opinion, Tim? That was a that was a 10-2 and team that won the Cotton Bowl but had the disappointing finish there uh, with the tough loss to Jamarcus Russell and the LSU Tigers in Tuscaloosa, and then, of course, uh, it just totally came apart in the Iron Bowl loss down at Auburn that season. Do, do you think there was I, – I, for me, anyway, we can talk about pro throw, and trust me, one of my all-time favorites, and perhaps having him would have made things different. But what I recall most about how that season unfolded was that by the end of that November – 2005 into November towards the latter stages that Alabama offensive line couldn't line up against just about any team of note in the Southeastern conference had some injuries. Um, They weren't especially talented to begin with. So I don't know if there was much more than 10 wins in that team. Yeah, I think when you look like that Florida game, man, that looked like a national championship team. You, and that was early in the season, right? When yeah. they were when they were whole. You know, the yeah, thing yeah. I'll tell you this: the thing about football and offenses is when you have that connection. And I mean, Tennessee's got it now with Hyatt and Hooker. When you've got that connection, and Stetson Bennett has it with uh, the big tight end. When you've got that, that's kind of 
what you got to have with an offense to be successful. It's probably what's missing with Bryce Young right now because he doesn't really have that guy. Well, Brody had that guy. And Brody, I mean, I mean, I think people have forgotten, but Brody had a monster arm, had a cannon, and uh, it zipped. I don't even know if the thing got six yards off the ground, really. It was like a – it's like a scud missile when that, that boy threw it and um, uh, absolutely could throw it. So, But I agree with you. I mean, that would have been hard-pressed to see much more out of that team. That was the pinnacle. But That I do, team was more about the defense, too. Yeah, I mean, that 2005 defense has never gotten the credit, Tim, that I think it deserves. Yeah, I agree. That was good. a damn good defense, dude. Good. I mean, Mark Anderson, D'Amico frickin' Ryans, Freddie Roach, Roman, Ramsey Robinson, Charlie Pepper, Joe Pines dialing it up. That was a lot of guys that nobody knew if they wanted them or not. Yeah. North Alabama, Charlie from Texas, you know, a lot of, why are they taking this three-star? D'Amico was a three-star. A lot of Fran guys, yeah. Bessmer guy that he, you know, and props to D'Amico because if he doesn't get a head coaching job relatively Oh, it's coming for Miko, yeah. Because the Giants' defense is legit. He looks the part. He acts the part. Um, Something Alabama fans can definitely be proud of. He's doing a a hell of a job. D'Amico Ryan's uh, out there with the Niners, man. Absolutely killing it and going to be a head coach in the very – very near future as we wrap up with the mailbag here on the T Watts and TR podcast, Bammy, Bama, Bammy, Bama bullies. Uh, we kind of talked about this earlier. Who do you guys think is the most talented receiver on the team? Not the best right now, just most talented Bama bully says he's going with Isaiah bond. What about you, Tim? You know, I think I'm partial to Kobe. Um, I think he's a little bit more advanced than Bond. You know, I love Bond. I loved him last year. Love the speed. Yeah. Um, all that kind of stuff. I, I I like those two. That'd be tough for me to choose. I might actually be choosing the other one just to have something to talk about here with, with my buddy, Bama Bullies. Um, I do think that when healthy, um, Aaron Anderson could be the best, most polished of that because out of those guys – because coming into this year, I was expecting him to play more. Obviously injured, hurt him because you had two speed guys. I mean, Bond's like world-class speed. Kobe's playing a little bit of a smaller school. Didn't really have the, you know, that seven-on-seven experience coming in. So I was expecting Aaron Anderson to be the one to come in. So I think talent-wise, as far as receiver goes, Anderson's going to be the best of that group early on. But I think upside, because Bond and Kobe have home run potential. And you know what? They're making some tough catches. I mean, they're making catches now where you can see – who is that? Was it Bond that made the catch where he caught it like a baby being dropped out of a five-story window? Yeah, in Arkansas. Well, he had the drop, you know, well, earlier. Yeah, and he – He I wasn't going to drop that one. I love – yeah, because he was – it was like catching the baby with a building on <laughs> Like, caught it, cradled it. Had a great catch at Tennessee, too, though, on, on one of those vertical line routes. Yeah. So he's coming along nicely. So, I think that class – you know, I think that group's probably going to surpass the their their upper class one pretty quick of holding some of these guys. You know, if they don't come with it, I think they're going to I think they're going to get you know passed up. It's certainly tougher to decide who to play right now. It is. Um, I still like Ja'Cory Brooks, man. I just I think that he, he between his size and his speed 
and in the ways he can win. I like his toughness too. He had a couple of drops at Arkansas. Those weren't good, uh, but he's really ramped it back up here in the last couple of games. And uh, it seems like Bryce has a lot of confidence in him. Uh, maybe not the most explosive receiver, and we know how much that matters in today's game, but I still think Ja'Cory Brooks has everything you want in a wide receiver. So it's interesting the different candidates, so that you can come up with. And uh, Tide Lion, I guess it's Tide Lion Lover chimes in too. Any news on Shaz Preston or Aaron Anderson? Well, you talked about Anderson still coming back from the injury. Without that, I think he would already be involved more in that rotation, as you said, Tim. And then I think Shaz Preston still. You know, a guy that you're going to consider for the, Shaz, the future. Didn't Shaz play? Isn't he the one his brother was on Mississippi State? Yeah, now? Shaz has played this season. Yeah. Um, isn't he the one where the brother? He has yeah, brother. his brother plays for Mississippi Dude, State. That was, that was a great moment. I don't know that why. That was really cool. National yeah. people don't catch that. For those that didn't see it, Shaz he has a brother that plays at Mississippi State. Shaz is on the field where the brother didn't realize Shaz was on the field. I guess he ran over there to block or help his teammate up. Was brother saw him and was like, "Holy shit!" and jumped on his back. Was, <laughs> Sean was, Preston, yeah, good defensive stopped, player. Like, what are you doing out here? What are you doing? And you know, I'm surprised we didn't get a 15 yard penalty for unnecessary roughness there. But uh, good moment. So yeah, I think Shaz. We thought his learning curve was a little steeper, but <laughs> obviously very talented. Had a ton of offers. Um, so a guy that's got a big upside. No doubt about it. Well, Tim, we're done in the mailbag. We're done here with another edition of T Watts and TR, but we're not done, perhaps anyway, on this Wednesday when it comes to potential news, right? No, we're not. Everybody stick around a few hours. We will have uh, Julian Sayan, California, number two quarterback in the country, five-star composite committing, Alabama, LSU are the main contenders. Georgia's being mentioned. I don't expect them to factor in, so – Still think Alabama's sitting pretty right there. Yeah, don't go too far away, Tim. Just keep that headset on, right? We'll be uh, be I'm dialing this. We could be. We could be dialing this thing back up. I'm ready. All right. Always appreciate it, Tim. Always a lot of fun. All right, guys. See you on the roundtable. Hang out with us on the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe. That, of course, a big part of what we do there at BamaOnline.com, and we would certainly appreciate it if you haven't already. A subscription to the Bama Online podcast, simple as a click or two. Anywhere you consume your podcast, you're going to find us. And if you leave us a rating and a review, we'd greatly appreciate that as well. For Tim Watts, Travis Schreier, thanks again for joining us right here on the Bama Online podcast. And until next time, so long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.